Welcome to this episode of the magazine Debrief. I'm John Severs and I'm joined by Gronya Halan. Hi, Gronya. Hello. And Dan Worth. Hi, Dan. Hello. And this is a smelly podcast this week, I guess, is what we're saying. It's got a theme running through it and the theme will be perfectly obvious when we um, we start discussing the features. And of, of note, if Gronya does read out the first line of the feature, I am not the John in question. <laughs> So let's get started. Okay, Gronia, uh, are you going to read the first line of? No, feature? no, I didn't. I didn't pick that bit, but I, it does make does make me laugh because the John in the story is clearly based on you. But we'll it says the 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 feature starts John smells, which which is written by a friend of mine called Simon Creasy, and he did it on purpose, and I think it's bullying. <laughs> and you know all about that because sometimes it takes a bully to spot a bully. Um, so Simon Creasy's piece this week is all about the rather sticky topic of sweat and body odour. And you've got some lessons in science explaining what sweat is and why it smells and some lessons in pastoral care, namely how to deal with the issue of having a child in class who might have a problem with their body odour. And what I think I like the most in this piece was having the expert voice of BO, BO expert, Dr. Calliwert, who has even set up a website called, brilliantly, Dr. Armpit. Yes. It was great. And he gives us the science lesson. So this part I found particularly interesting where he's explaining the impact puberty has on sweat. So I do apologise now to my parents who are science teachers and will get cross at my mispronunciations of things. But here we go. Next to the more sebaceous sweat being produced it also leads towards the activation of the apocrine sweat glands and they are only present in the armpits nipples anal genital area ear canal and eyebrows um, such and... children because we're all giggling <laughs> like i mean you can see why i picked this bit i got to say nipples um most of the apocrine <laughs> sweat glands are actually present in the armpits and now we get to the crux of the problem because the high load of bacteria in the armpit as well as the many apocrine sweat glands, can, an odor can emanate. Uh, an odor can emanate. So sterile sweat does not smell. This is basically the bit that I thought was really interesting. Sterile yeah, sweat doesn't sweat smell. It's bizarre. Does not right? smell. Poor sweat gets such a such a bad PR, and it's not it's not smelly. But it's the biotransformation of the fatty acids from the apocrine sweat glands by the bacteria that produces smaller and volatile molecules and causes body odor. So. And the, piece go, the piece goes on to explain we don't actually know why some people smell more than others and it gives some tips on how to address it with your class. Um, I thought it was interesting that it didn't really get onto the issue about like washing clothes, like the how that can sometimes help because that's something that I know when I was in the classroom we helped children with because if they don't have access to, to washing machines and washing their clothes that can be one of the ways to, to tackle it. And um, I'm sure... Listeners, you know, if you've got tips about how you've dealt with the problem in the past, we'd like to hear them. I think it was, it showed, it, I'd never heard, well, I'd never realised the difference between deodorant and antiperspirant until this feature. Oh, so the deodorant, being married to a PE teacher, you do get told this all the time. So the deodorant attacks the bacteria and the mm. antiperspirant actually just stops you sweating, mm. which doesn't seem like, and I use antiperspirant, and, I, and suddenly I think, that doesn't sound like a great idea, not sweating, since it does have quite an important purpose. But everywhere you go in a supermarket, or well, in the men's aisle, um, this is all about antiperspirant. It's quite hard to find deodorant, actually, I find. I've never even yeah, 
yeah, I, I can tell you if, I, if it is or not. I don't know. I've looked. I just, I just pick something up. Well, that would do. Don't know. 48 hours protection. Yeah. And you're like, I don't really need 48 hours. <laughs> like, always makes me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it's rubbish, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work for 48 hours. <laughs> and if it does, like, I need to wash myself. So does it mm. stop... Does it stop? Uh, yeah, uh, if you're going yeah, on a hike, I'll probably digressing. If you're going on a DV <laughs> hike, I mean, yeah, lots of thoughts about this feature, right? So one of the things, Doctor Armpit, um, which he has, the, which is the domain, DoctorArmpit.com. I can't imagine there was much competition for that domain, right? <laughs> that, has, that had been dormant since the birth of the web, and then he was like, "Oh, here, 99p, brilliant! I have that." I might be wrong. <laughs> that was that was some thought I had, um, and I, I did did make me think back to school and. We used to play a lot of sport at lunchtimes, me and my friends. You know, lunchtime was football on the terraces, particularly obviously in the in the summer, in the spring, in the nice weather. And we would charge around for an hour nonstop playing football. And then it would all and you know you're the thing where you're still really hot and you haven't cooled down at all. And then you go into your class, like history, English, whatever, and you sat there. And I think that and there was like, you know, loads of us, all these teenage boys who play football running around. And the, the, it, I mean, we didn't smell it. I don't recall smelling it, but the, for the teacher, I must must have been, oh no. Yeah, they they would definitely again. smell it. Yeah. I would have plug-in air fresheners in my classroom. Yeah. Because windows were wide open. <laughs> this is pre-COVID, just wide open windows, ventilation. Well, my sister was looking around uh, a school for her kids and he said that she was struck. She's a paediatric physiotherapist. So she's used to dealing with kids in active situations, but she said she was shocked about, because she went out, I said, go around a school, not on your official day, because yeah. you'll see the school much more like it is. Just ask for a visit. She was struck by how smelly the, the secondary schools were. She's like, do you know what? It really does smell. Like, and I can't say I've ever noticed when I've been on visits, but I, I guess I'm I'm not on that sort of in a classroom long enough to get the full whiff. And it's usually not after lunch, like you say, Dan. Actually, most schools when you get invited to visit, uh, they tend to take you around in the mornings, and so maybe that's a less pungent time of the day. I don't know. The smell in classrooms is definitely a big problem. And lots of classrooms are obviously Victorian style with the tiny little windows at the top and it's not very easy to get the ventilation in. And they're really cramped and so the kids are all piled in on top of each other. So if you're stuck next to the smelly one, that's even worse, isn't it? Well, I think that's this is this is the serious side of this, isn't it? And we do have to look at the serious side because this, this is a general problem in the sense of lots of mm. boys going running around at lunchtime and this is general smell. And then there's some unfortunate individuals who do have... Yeah, a more persistent yeah. problem where actually, as the piece says, this is really like, it's still a sort of taboo to say, you know, I'm really sorry, there's a problem, can I help you? And, it, and it's it's incredibly embarrassing and it's an insult. And I was talking to Simon about this feature and I said, you, you know, what would you do in the office? I mean, he's an associate editor on, on Property Week magazine. I said, what if one of your staff had this? And he said, I don't, he said, I had that situation and I, and you know, it, it's difficult because how do you broach it? How do you have that conversation without it being an insult? And you almost need to cut the cut cut the noise and just come out with it, I guess, in a really sensitive, you know, private way. And some people are definitely more sensitive to smells than others, aren't they? Especially yeah. if you've got, you know, additional needs than being near something that smells strongly. And that can be a, something that traditionally you might think of as a nice smell is really offensive to some people. And... Definitely, it it can be quite quite upsetting for people to be close to, and it's difficult to to talk about because it's such a sensitive topic. Mm. Yes, yeah. and do you think? I mean, like, like I I sort of feel like my wife smells things more than I do. You know, what I mean, yeah. like she'll go, "Oh, this the kitchen doesn't smell very nice." I'm like, "Is it? Does it? I don't know." Like, I think I always think it's probably is that biological. Like, is that do we have different smell levels or something? I don't know. But sometimes I'm just like, "No, I can't smell anything," and she's I'm she's adamant she can. Smell. So I feel like it's not like we're making neither of us is making it up. 
it's just a different we are experiencing My a different parents, thing as i mentioned earlier both both chemistry like work chemistry academics and um they've got really good sense of smell from being in laboratories and that's mm. very difficult when you try and get away with underage drinking as a teenager <laughs> they could always smell is that what it was so they were chemistry they say because we're chemistry yes. teachers we know you've been and you're like oh yeah done it it's not it's not about the... it as well convinced me that they would always be able to tell <laughs> on the um, on the more lighter side of it, I mean, there was a serious issue again, and we've made light of something, but there is a there is a serious side. But on the lighter side, it remind, reminded me of a Gemma Corby piece when she said she said that school to her was the smell of impulse body spray, mm. and it made me think actually, you know, Lynx Africa was was the was the masking smell of choice when we when I was at school. You know, mm. like you got a Lynx body spray set for Christmas, and there's like this heady smell of sweat and Lynx lynx africa is just really unpleasant and even now if i go into like a swimming pool and you smell it it just takes me back yeah, to yeah, yeah. post pe changing room and i think there's something about um girls and like putting perfume on like you were saying that i remember putting on like Tom, tommy girl and that's what all the girls in our changing room would put on after pe and we barely moved like i don't think even warranted <laughs> the <laughs> response but it's that there's that fear isn't that like oh my god do i smell and there's definitely different different aspects of it for for women and men i think there's also like a, a body image thing thinking of that actually because i know friends at school who's, who afterwards have told me they kept a t-shirt jumper on all the time because they didn't like the the fit of of the blouse or the shirt because they mm. were they had you know, um hang-ups about how they looked and obviously that can be an you know because someone smells it, it might not be a hygiene issue it might actually be you know a wider pastoral issue as well which is oh, quite absolutely and like wearing larger clothes to disguise the size you are underneath like that's obviously a, a, a thing to watch out for with um with people who have got eating disorders and that can then contribute to the smell particularly if they're also like binging and making themselves sick because then there's smells that come with that too it's yeah it's definitely something that we should talk about more and we shouldn't feel like because it's a taboo subject we shouldn't discuss it because it can indicate you know really serious underlying issues that are safeguarding concerns. That's a good place to move on to feature two. Okay, we're still talking about a sort of stressful situation that might cause sweat, but it's not about sweat again. But this is, you know, you're beginning to see the theme of the podcast. The feature we're looking at, or I'm going to talk about now, is the cover feature, which uh, came about via a discussion with a with a, a, a guy called Darrell Barnes, who's who's a, a very leading figure in the independent sector. And I was talking to him about the headship recruitment crisis. And I said to him, it's just, how, how difficult is it to recruit a head teacher? And he said, well, it depends what you're looking for, because, you know, you could have 10 or 15 things on your list that you'd like your head teacher to have. But actually, there's like three non-negotiables. There's things that they, you know, everyone agrees in the room that you must have. And I said, well, how often do you get agreement? And he said, well, actually, you know, you don't. And so we had a, a, a young chap called Jacob come in on work experience and um, from the Cardiff Magazine course, which has illustrious alumni, including myself, Dan Worth, Simon Locke, who's at Tears. Is that, is that all the Cardiff guys? It might all be Cardiff guys. It might be more. But um, he set about asking some various experts about the the three things that they valued above or else and what struck me i don't know if about for you two too was that there was nothing very practical 
in that list. It was very much moral purpose, principles, you know, it was very much about the person rather than not necessarily what they could do. And that I found that quite interesting. Yes, I think you're right. I think I think it does underline why being a school leader is, is perhaps has more of that than any other type of leadership. Maybe um, you know, than the CEO whoever's judged on financial performance. And that's a very clear metric, isn't it? And obviously you do have grades and so forth, but you also have all the other things with your touch on there, like the pastoral, the moral, the community, the the togetherness of the group. You know, how do you manage a team of people that then are working with children, with parents, with governors, with all these things? So there's so much to think about as a leader in that world of schooling. Um, and interesting, I was um, I wrote a piece very recently myself about for the international sector, talking about how can school leaders lead the, their schools out of the pandemic mode and you know, out of crisis. You can't say the crisis of the pandemic, and you have to lead your team forward. And interesting, again, it came out was a lot of is. You have to lead, but you have to take people with you. You have to engage with your your staff, your community. You can't just be this kind of, this is what we're doing and that's it. Like you probably can as a business leader, maybe a little bit more. So the piece, yeah, it does. it's interesting. Like you say, it brings up that sense of, and you can see why it makes it hard then to know who you want to hire because everyone might have, the, might have qualifications on paper that make them look good. And they come into the room and interview them and you think, well, I wasn't sold that they'd be the right person to fit in here, but they've got all the credentials. So we should hire them because they're clearly strong at what they do. But did they strike you that they get on well with, the teachers with the community with the parents and you can see why it's a it's a tricky process i really liked what um james bowen said about communication and the importance of communication and not just being about what they say but about their their listening skills and the role that a head teacher has in like bridging between the school and the community and serving your community and listening to parents and and i think you know we've seen this year more than ever how important that is about working with your families and working with the, the parents, the children that are in your care at school. And I thought that was of all the different qualities, that one really stuck out for me. And isn't it interesting how it wasn't about being a good teacher? They mentioned about, you know, this, have, having to be a, a strong teacher and like, but that wasn't, it wasn't like the most important thing. Being a head teacher isn't just like you're the best teacher in the school because being a head teacher is so much more than just yes, classroom management and probably- sharing pedagogy. Drops right down the list of requirements, right? In a way, like it's, mm. how, how often will you be will that person be teaching a class? So like, probably very, <laughs> very rarely. Yeah, but can they help others? Be yes, when they're teaching, which like, is a different. But that's a different skill, isn't it? You can be a br- yeah, exactly. So yeah, different. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can be a great Completely teacher different. yourself, or great writer, or great journalist. But then, can you teach someone else to be good? Well, I've seen people who can't. You have know, people who are good at what they do, but then they try and work with someone else, and it and it's just like that's not how you teach someone. That's not how you engage somebody you're clearly that's why you've got to the top because you can do it but your way you manage your team is not so good that kind of thing so yeah very complicated it struck me as well that if you're going for a headship interview and you're feeling down maybe you've been to two or three and you're thinking what am i doing wrong it struck me that you're possibly not doing anything wrong that actually what those three things that that governing body are are valuing higher it's just not your personality type. And each interview you go to, there may be different things that that governing body are looking for. And, you know, I think you can beat yourself up and, we, God, we need head teachers. And you don't want to have to go to a couple of these two-day interviews and find that you're, you know, and get get down and not apply anymore and think it's not for you because actually it's just a, it's the right fit, isn't it? Right fit for the school. Do your principles match? Does your ideology match? So when I interviewed Dylan Williams recently, he was talking about like needing to have the A team and that when you're you're looking for people to in the senior leadership posts, you don't want to have like six identical people. Like that 
it's all about having people that are strong in different areas. So part of it might be that you're, you know, you're a great candidate. They've got somebody who's too similar to you already and you need to bring something else to the role. So it's, you know, it's definitely not always about you not being right for it. It's just about the fit and being able to see the bigger picture. Do, do you think as well that it might change how people hire because of the pandemic, like, whereas, you know, two years ago, it might have been much more like, well, this person will get results or, you know, they're getting the results and that's the most important thing or all that kind of stuff. Whereas now there might be a sense of, well, yeah, but we need someone who also, yeah, can engage with the community. We've seen how important that is. Or we've really built our community back up again a little bit. You know, the parents have got much more engagement with the school. They trust us. We, we've, we, you know, whatever it might be, if we need a new head teacher now, that will have changed the dynamics slightly of what they expect a head to do, you know, or, or what did you do learn in the crisis? You know, did you manage well during the pandemic or did you not? And, and how do you turn that forward? It's a whole nother sort of set of things to and think about, isn't it? Budget, isn't it? Like people that were really good at handling their budget or that if a school's in a deficit now, they might be looking for somebody who's really experienced in that area because that's the most concerning thing for their school at the moment. Okay, so feature free, we're back to uh, sweaty post-lunch students. Is that what we're, is that what we're talking about, Dan? Yes, we are. We're talking about fitness. We're talking about exercise. Um, this is a feature in the How I section uh, by a teacher called Rahi Popat. Uh, he's talking about um, how they introduced a sort of all-school fitness focus and exercise and, and so forth and, and talks about how they did that in quite a structured way it wasn't just oh everyone's going to get fit and we're going to make you all go and run around the playground which is sort of how I sort of would imagine that if I heard it written down as a single line idea um, but it was much more structured and, and teachers were given sort of training where they needed on PE and they introduced to, uh, the pupils to new types of sport like some they hadn't encountered before I think they say you mentioned like badminton and things like that it's not just running and not you know archery. not just football archery yeah that's i love archery so whenever i see archery I like a, you know you're on a sort of a holiday camp so i always want to go to the archery i think it's great fun um kayaking you know high ropes all these different things and, and actually they sort of have measured doesn't exactly how they measured it like in great detail but it, he touches on some data where it shows that they obviously have been measuring this as, as a metric and they've seen attendance increase they've seen use of physical restraint which i thought was an interesting sort of thing to be honest about that they that's massively decreased since they got everyone moving around and we all know it, don't we? Exercise, any any form of exercise, we all feel better after a walk, a run, a cycle. You know, there's so many days when I sort of arm and are about going for a bike ride and then I go and then when I come back, I'm always like so much better for it. And my wife always says, oh, it's so funny, isn't it? You know this is how you'll feel afterwards, but you don't want to go. You know, we all, we're all guilty. We all, oh, I can't be bothered. No, it's too, oh, it's cold. And then, you know, I will go. And you get back, you feel great. It's like, why is it, why are humans so conditioned to be so bad at this stuff? But that's another topic but yes yeah, so it's a really nice piece and again I, I this i really like these pieces that have been coming through like this way it's a real sort of practical guide to something that i think other school and other teacher could read and think hmm we should do that we could we could make something like this work well, here's a, and it's clearly worked for these people we maybe we should give it a go and yes you might have some slightly sweaty pupils at the end of it uh children not your eyes um but you will <laughs> you everyone will be better for it and and you and you can make it work and it doesn't have to be enforced like you know that's the trouble isn't it? people think of Sort of all participation sport i think it immediately puts a lot of people off but if you broaden that say so, no it's not about we're all going to do the same thing we're going to make more opportunities for exercise for sport for physical activity that that's what you're trying to get at really not we're all going to exercise the same thing at the same time together and in, in a really sort of enforced way i think it's um i think brain gym's got a lot to answer for because it you know this notion of exercise as a beneficial for learning is hard science but because brain gym the actual activities and everything like that were were so discredited it became all synonymous with one thing 
And it makes me think of a couple of features. One was the one you did a few years ago, Dan, about the perfect chair and how this guy who's done all this science around chairs is basically saying we're not meant to sit down. Like, human beings are rubbish at sitting. And, and it made me also think of... of um, I went down to watch the aircraft carrier leave Portsmouth the other week, and my friend's children and our children had to stand still, waiting because it was a bit late out. You know, Royal Navy, not exactly punctual, it turns out. But the kids just couldn't just stay still they had to run around and be crazy because that's what kids do and they just they had energy they needed to get it out and you think yes okay you know 15 star jumps isn't going to increase your reading age by three months right but it, it is going to make you more engaged in the classroom it is going to it is going to transform how you feel about yourself like you said dan and it's you know even people who hate pe and i know you said you used to bunk off pe gronya so maybe you'll come back at me at this but if there was an outlet where you felt comfortable to do pe and comfortable to do some form of activity surely the the knock-on of that is that sort of massive endorphin boost and more of an engagement and more ability to sit and your mind can focus better after doing some exercise or am i wrong no no i think quite the opposite i think that um that actually it's not always just got to have an educational benefit, that doing sport brings pleasure. Like we know it's, it's that oxytocin in your brain. And actually being happy is a really good aim to have. Like there's nothing wrong with just doing something because it's pleasurable. That's really, really important. It's a mental health week this week. And it's something that we should all be really like mindful of, the fact that children get so much joy and people get so much joy out of exercising. I might have bunked off PE a lot when I was at school, but now as an adult, I exercise most days and I really enjoy it. And I think it's just about finding that sport that you want to do that makes you feel like that that kind of happy. Like I, I just didn't get a chance to do the sort of exercise that I've ended up enjoying as an adult when I was at school. But the good thing that... um. Rahi wrote about in the article is the fact that they gave so much option so much option for the for the children to pick from and taking them off site so and particularly with the younger children explaining how for them it was they they weren't quite used to the idea of doing sport in school because it's all so new to them so taking them off site to do activities was really successful and this is a really good investment of our time and effort because if we've got fitter healthier happier students then that is the one of our you know, most important outcomes to come out of school with isn't it like in life we need to get these habits when they're younger so they can go through through life that bit healthier and bit happier and it's you know you don't get fit by doing one day one week loads and loads of exercise and nothing the rest of the time it's all about small incremental improvements and generally improving your your health and mm. like just being that bit more I don't know, it's about being a fidget, really, isn't it? Like, just yeah, not doing, like that, not sitting, like yeah. just little bits. No, you're right. I feel like you should stand up and applaud. Yeah, yeah that was very, very... I feel like that was... Yeah. I feel like, you know, there'd be a gif, you know, the gif where there's Meryl Streep just sort of, like, yeah. going for it. I think that <laughs> that speech needed that gif. And I think, Dan, I'm disappointed in you because there was an absolute opportunity there to tell my best teacher podcast well, completely no, no i didn't I, I i totally thought of it and and i didn't want to interrupt that brilliant uh, true. speech <laughs> true. you know i wasn't i wasn't gonna can i tell my archery anecdote before yes. you do no, my best teacher no yeah it's definitely it. archery anecdote yeah okay come on on. what this is does, does it involve, involve you know an does it involve death or an injury yeah. or injury because if it does we'll have to run it past the, the legal team <laughs> so when you were saying that archery makes you think of like holiday camps and stuff and like being, because yeah. that is classic archery, so that's when archery happens. And my sister was um, 
on holiday in Greece, like Felleray, some somewhere like that. And um, she was sunbathing, but there was an archery activity going on like next to her, like in the next. Sounds like a very odd situation already. (laughs) She was just lying there, sunbathing, relaxing. And then the girl who was lying on the sunbed next to her, an an arrow just came over the like little dividing hedge and went into her toe. She got shot shot in her toe with an arrow. A proper arrow? A proper arrow. And was she okay? I mean, she lose the toe? (laughs) She was fine. The toe was fine. How, How is it fine? How? I mean, she's been shot in the toe by an arrow by it was fine. a child, was presumably. Right. And, or, um, and she was out the next night, like, drinking, and Roshin bumped into her in the, the toilets and was chatting to her, as you do, and she was, like, she was a bit upset because her toe had obviously been shot with the arrow. And Roshin was like, it's far worse. Could have got you somewhere much, much worse. <laughs> At least it was just your toe. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. It didn't really console her much, but, yeah, she was she was fine. <laughs> Well, she was out. She was out drinking in a bar. Exactly. What was she drinking? Archers. Hey. Oh. <laughs> I'm all the record because you because you couldn't see that. Gronya <laughs> took about fifteen minutes to get. That. <laughs> we've actually we've actually cut fifteen minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> it took us so long. I was like, well, yeah, maybe. Why not? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> and crazy. so, okay, and 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 to your point, John. My best teacher, Maureen Baig, who is, you know, BBC TV documentary filmmaker. And she made one, well, I say recently, I mean, it was a few months ago now, but it was about the truth about getting fit at home. So she looked into the science of that and we talked a little bit about that. And funnily, she was saying that when she was at school herself, she was not particularly interested in PE when she reached the teenage years and, and tried to bunk off it. Um, because of her makeup? Yeah, things said, like that. I think that's, isn't that not... You said she didn't want it to mess up her makeup. Yeah, I can understand. I mean, I'm not a yeah. makeup wearer, but I can understand that, I think. That's not that unusual. Yeah, that's I quite that's a fair enough. common reason why you wouldn't want to... He needs to talk to Amy Forrester, friend of the pod. Yeah, who, this is true. Then. Who has every <laughs> every makeup solution for... Yeah. She does. Amy's yeah. seven-layer makeup fix <laughs> for mask protection. Yes. Seven, and which seven she's layers. Ri- which she's written about in text. Yeah, she has, yeah. Um, she has, yeah. she has. Yeah. She has. So yeah, so we talk about that and we talk about how then she became a teacher herself and she had then saw young female pupils doing the same, oh miss, do I have to go to PE? And she'd obviously say, yes, you do have to go. And, and obviously she, like, like like we're all talking about, she has now become an adult and realised that actually exercise and all that stuff is, is, is all great. Um, so yeah, that's the My Best Teacher podcast. That's live and that's a nice one. Uh, some nice stories in there, some nice anecdotes, some nice insights. So definitely worth checking out as well. More podcast goodness from Tez. Exactly. It's horrible that thing about coming an adult because... I look back, you know, Facebook memories, every time it pops up, I, I sort of click on it really, mm. really worried. And then I look at what I wrote 10 years ago and think, God, he was a... Yeah. And do you delete it? I delete it. Yeah. I definitely delete it. My memory it. I thing mean, is just to... Re- I'm getting there's this fewer memories left as I delete them all. <laughs> oh, do you delete them? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I want every record I of me them. 10 They're years so... ago gone. Oh, I just cringe at them, but I don't delete them. It's always and it's always like because in the old days it was the is editors. Thing. Look at you trying to edit your own. Yeah, history. it was. Well, it, 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 was. Make sense it just says like because obviously it used to say Dan is you know it's like um, going to Tesco. Mm. So now it just says going to Tesco's. That's the memory, and it's just like what's oh, that's, that's just so yeah. so bland. It's like wow, you know, hey everyone, everyone needs to know this right now. I mean that's I guess that's what Twitter is anyway, isn't it? We're all still doing it, but 
I it hate was... all the ones where I moan about being tired. Like, you had no <laughs> idea what tired was. Shut up. Like, just be quiet, you idiot. And the thought that anyone wanted to know. Yeah. And it's just, and yeah. some of the things, I, 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 it's, it's awful. So, yeah, so, I mean, I'm glad I'm an adult and enjoy the benefits of exercise, but I, I, the, the hindsight is just traumatic for me. And, and most generations never had this, right? They never had to look back at what they'd thought and written for everyone to see. Yeah. You know, Keats didn't have to do that, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, Wilfred Owen, they didn't have to read back. They're like, oh, what was I thinking then? It's like... No, Wilfred Owen had to go fight in a war and die. Well, I know, I'm just trying to think of... Like... That was much worse, I know, but I mean, I'm just trying to think of generational people that are sort of universal, you know. And... Oh, lucky Wilfred Owen. <laughs> but his us. Facebook memories are his amazing poetry, so like... For, yeah, but he for, got for spent Wilfred. ages crafting that until it was the best it could possibly yeah. be, whereas we just went oh, I'm... off to Tesco's, you know. <laughs> Or really stupid jokes as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of them are just like, what? I was just asking for attention. And I, I you know, I'm not that type of personality. So I don't know what I was on at the time. I know. Lots I've got loads of ones that's like, apps. Dan thinks, you know, this is the best music cover ever. And it's a link to some like punk band playing, you know, some. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, it's so good. It's like, delete, delete, delete. It's like. I would not be friends with myself. Oh, that's if an I interesting met, feature. I, if I met 22 year old. Ronya, we would not be mates. That I think we should do that. We should. We should. That should. That's an idea that they would run somewhere. That's that's a TV show. <laughs> would you be friends with your younger self? I like that. Well, we'll we'll pitch that this week and see if Channel Four will take it. They've got Naked Attraction, right? So they must. They're going to take this. It's like, better than that. Well, I mean, no, well, on. this is a whole other story. Naked Attraction is a good show. It should. I'd- Genuinely, <laughs> I think Naked Attraction is a really important show that should. I know it never would be, but it's the kind of thing children should no, watch because no, it makes no, you. It completely, Dan. yeah, because it completely takes away all this the mystique of what human bodies look like. It makes you realise that there's just no, no, there's just no, all shapes, no, all Dan. sizes. There's no right or wrong size, and and there isn't. And actually, do you understand like the misogyny in Naked Attraction? Why and is the it? disproportionate amount of women who appear with no pubic hair? There's oh no, that's a, big, a different thing. I mean, I'm, big I'm not objection. Yeah, that's to another the issue. But... That use. Well, this I reminds I, me of when I said I liked Friends and Gone yeah, went I, off and about Ross and Friends. I, there's obviously there's myriad elements no, to that show, but I'm I think willing to tell you how wrong you are. No, no, I don't think it's that simple. Simple. I think it's. A, I think as a show, it has a lot to say about. I think it's got a lot to answer. The multiple, the, the fact that human body is not a single type, and there's all the shapes. We started on. Um, we, oh, we don't have to Amy include Forrester this. has a great naked. Yeah, we would definitely story. include oh, okay. this. Yeah, no, we've got to take this out. Yeah. No, no. It's, oh well. So. No, we're not no. taking stuff out. We're not taking. Oh, stuff I can't out. tell it's, it then. You can ask we, her. You can DM Gonya and uh, and find out the truth. We've come a long way from we have, sweaty yeah. kids to to. To Naked Attraction and, and the misogyny of Channel 4's Naked Attraction, which sounds like... Oh, they're not going to take our pitch now, I've said that, are they? Well, I, that I didn't like say pop- that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't characterise it as such. I mean, it's, they, every show has one way around and the other way around, and they have all all ages and all, all body types. <laughs> one way around and, and the other way around. Yeah, they have, I'm definitely they have, ending they have this men, conversation no, it's, now. No, it's men <laughs> picking women and then a, man, a woman picking a man, and they have, they have all the types. That's your interpretation, not what I meant. <laughs> We're going to leave it there, and uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, with 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 more features and more social commentary on the misogyny of naked TV shows. Uh, see you next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez Magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.